This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we're rolling right along in our adventures in Acts with Paul visits James, Paul arrested in the temple, Paul asks to speak, Paul's story begun, and Paul's story interrupted. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider.
have sanctified us in the true faith. sanctified us in the true faith.
A reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test, I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. In many and various ways God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. In the name of the Father, <clears throat> and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Paul writes to the Corinthians in our text from a position of weakness and vulnerability. Paul has suffered persecutions and betrayals, numerous setbacks and constant resistance. Perhaps even more problematic, Paul's plans seem to have failed. His goals have not met with success. His intentions have not come to fulfillment. Indeed, in the experience of the Corinthian Christians, Paul makes promises but does not deliver. He plans to come but then delays and vacillates. He claims to love them and yet causes them pain. Indeed, Paul's vulnerability is so great that he implores the Corinthians to regard no one from a human point of view, to judge no one according to the flesh. Paul's words are more than a theological point. They are a defense of his own ministry. And what a strange defense it is. Paul simply admits the facts in the case. Paul admits that according to the flesh, he is a mere earthen vessel, easily cracked by a single blow. According to the flesh, Paul is a mere tent, a temporary flimsy shelter that quickly collapses when the storm arrives. From a human point of view, Paul lacks power. He lacks the strength to succeed the strength to fulfill his ministry. Indeed, in relation to the Corinthians, Paul's weakness in the world has now reached a critical point. The Corinthians are now demanding that the apostle prove himself. For you seek proof, Paul writes before our text, that Christ is speaking in me. So how can Paul carry out the duties of his apostleship in such a state of weakness? How can he accomplish his ministry when he lacks the power to perform? 
Who will trust Paul's promises when he lacks the strength to bring them to completion? These questions confronting St. Paul should sound familiar, dear friends, because they are the same questions confronting us. We live, so it is said, in a post-Christian society. Whatever such a term might mean, it at least entails the truth that Christianity is losing power in this world. Like St. Paul, we must admit the facts in the case. We are losing the power to rule, losing political power, legislative power, judicial power, moral power, intellectual power, economic power. So the question confronts us as it did St. Paul, how does the church fulfill her mission from a position of weakness? How do we fulfill our ministry when we cannot control the intellectual debate, when we cannot control the underlying presuppositions of an argument, when we cannot control the definitions of moral goodness, when we cannot control, as it is said, the narrative? And so I think there is much to learn from Paul's second letter to his beloved Corinthians. In this letter, St. Paul does not respond with an angry aggression that now seeks to reassert his intellectual dominance or his ecclesiastical rank. Nor does he respond with a timid despair that disdains the ignorance of these Corinthians and now renounces his responsibility for their spiritual care. No, rather Paul responds with a true love letter or better, a letter of comfort from the God of all comfort. A letter that exhorts the Corinthians, as St. Paul puts it, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. In this letter, Paul does not seek to deny his weakness, defend his weakness, explain his weakness, Rather, Paul seeks to embrace weakness, even boast of weakness, as the very perfection of divine power. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Paul here places the defense of his own ministry in the mouth of Jesus himself. And yet in Jesus' aphorism, a great mystery is now hidden. For what kind of power is it, dear friends, that actually embraces weakness, that boasts of weakness, that is perfected in weakness? The powers of this world allow no place for weakness. They disdain the weak. They coerce the weak. They use the weak. They finally attack and tyrannize the weak. And so what politician or what legislator or what judge or what soldier, what president, what king seeks to hold power by embracing weakness? In what world is vulnerability a form of lordship? How can infirmity be proof of authority? In what way can weakness be the perfection of power? Jesus' words to Paul must seem like naive fantasy. In order to exalt himself, Cain must humiliate his brother. 
In order to expand his reign, Pharaoh must enslave the children of Israel. In order to prove his superiority, Goliath must invite all challengers. This is the way of power in this world. For the power of this world consists precisely in the power to kill. And with the power to kill is the power to coerce, to enslave, to tyrannize, to control. However, Paul now sees in Christ an utterly different kind of power. The power embodied in Jesus Christ and in him crucified. For Christ comes not to embody the power to kill, but the power to raise the dead. And he comes not to condemn, but to save. And he comes not to destroy the nations, but to build his church. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, St. Paul writes, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. For Paul, it is this power of Christ that embraces weakness, that boasts of weakness, that is perfected in weakness. And so Abel's blood overcomes Cain, because it cries to the God who embraces and defends the weak. And Israel defeats Pharaoh's tyranny because they bear the freedom that belongs to the children of God. And David meets Goliath's challenge, not armed with the superior power to kill, but clothed with faith in the God who can raise the dead. For Paul, the power of Christ crucified is the power present in his own ministry, the power perfected in his own weakness. For we rejoice when we are weak and you are strong, the Apostle says in our text. What we pray for is your restoration. Instead of the power to rule or control, Paul proclaims the power of law. He exhorts the Corinthians to a love in which the strong willingly become weak so that the weak might become strong. A love where the cries of the needy arouse the compassion of the strong and the generosity of the strong inspires the thanksgiving of the needy. A love where the rich gladly become poor so that the poor might become rich. For we rejoice when we are weak and you are strong. No, weakness may not help us rule this world or to control our neighbor, but it does help us to love our neighbor, to sympathize with his weakness, to gain solidarity in his suffering. And so the power of God's love embraces weakness. It boasts of weakness. It is perfected in weakness. This is the power embodied in Christ crucified, the power that now gives form to Paul's ministry, the power that continues to be present among us in, in his church. And dear friends, what a great and awesome power this is. For this power that we now bear removes the sting of death and swallows the grave. Armed with this power, what can the world do to us? What control do they now have? We are free. 
free to die because we share in that power that can raise the dead. We are free to endure humiliation because we share in the power of Christ's glorification. We are free to be weak, to embrace the weak, to love the weak, for we share in that peculiar divine power that alone is perfected in weakness. To Christ be all the glory forever and ever.
Lord God, Heavenly Father, since we cannot stand before you relying on anything we have done, help us trust in your abiding grace and live according to your word. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Almighty and ever-living God, you make us both to will and to do those things that are good and acceptable in your sight. Let your fatherly hand ever guide us and your Holy Spirit ever be with us to direct us in the knowledge and obedience of your word that we may obtain everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Heavenly Father, almighty and ever-living God, you have safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with your mighty power and grant that this day we may fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings being ordered by your governance may be righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. us and direct our days and our deeds in his peace. 